But tonight uh, we're going to be in John 10. Now, before we get started, some of you will remember this story, but when we first moved up to the farm where we live, um, we, we, had, we had this recurring experience where, where my uncle's cows, who were on the farm, and a lot of times they were, they were in the pasture right behind our house, and then there was pasture down below the house, and and uh, in the summertime, when, when the grass kind of dries up, they get a little desperate for, for soft food. They don't like eating the dry grass. And so um, once, once things dry out, they get a little more um, experimental in their desire to get out of the enclosure. And there was a season where for almost every day, the cows would get out. And we'd hear the cows kind of walk through the, the forest by our house, and then they'd come behind the house and come around to this other side where the other pasture was, where there was more green grass for them to eat. And one day, when, when they did that, my uncle, who normally we would just call and say the cows are out, and then he'd come down and you know call the cows, and he'd call the cows, and they'd just kind of follow him up to the to the gate and walk into the gate where they're supposed to go and he'd put them in and they'd stay there and then and then the next day they'd get out again he'd come we'd call him he'd come down and they'd follow him up well one day we call him and he's not there and I actually called him up on the phone and I said hey hey Larry and he said let me guess the cows are out I said, yeah, the cows are out again and uh, he was out of town he was more than an hour away and I thought well I guess I'm going to go down and try to get the cows rounded back up, and I go down into the forest, and I, uh, I, I get down there, and they're not responding to my voice. I'm calling the cows. They're not coming to me. They're not, they're not doing anything I, I say, so I try to go down behind the cows and try to herd them from the back, and, and all that did was that scattered the cows even further. They just went more and more through the forest and into the woods, and then finally my uncle came. And together we were able to get all of the cows back up. But I learned something. I knew this lesson because I had done this with my grandpa when I was 11 and stayed out here for that summer. But, uh, you know, the cows, the cows don't respond to your voice if they don't know your voice. If they know your voice, they'll listen to you and they'll come when you call them. And, and uh, if they don't know your voice, they don't care. They'll just do whatever they want to do and... So my uncle's voice is kind of higher than my voice. So, you know, if I try to do, he'll, he'll say, come up or come on. And I, I could say it, but my voice is too low. So I try to get my voice up higher like his when, when I'm talking to the cows. So it sounds a little, come on, come on. He talks like that. So I'm trying to call, come on. Well, I discovered when they were on vacation and we were feeding the cows that if you're feeding the cows, they come around to you a lot faster. So if you're the guy that's in control of the food, it just takes a day or two to, for them to get used to your voice, and then they'll come running. Or if you're using a tractor, we'd fire up the tractor every day, and as soon as that, that tractor would fire up, they'd come running from the far field all the way over you know, in a hurry to see who could get to the hay first. Once they heard that sound, they knew it was dinner time. So I've learned a few things about them since then, and I've learned how important it is for, for them to know your voice. Well, as, and 
in John chapter 10, we're, we're talking about the idea of Jesus being a good shepherd. But to set the context, we need to go to the end of John chapter 9. And at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus is wrapping up this exchange with this man who was blind that Jesus had healed. And then Jim taught about all of the exchanges between this man and the, the spiritual leaders of that day and his parents and how they, they were trying to figure out what happened and nobody wanted to, to admit that it was Jesus. And, and then this man makes one of the funniest, funniest quotes, funniest questions to the religious leaders when they're asking, why are you asking so many questions about this Jesus? Do you want to follow him too? And the religious leaders had no, no, no desire at all to follow Jesus. So they get mad at him and kick him out of the synagogue. And then he goes and finds Jesus, which is where we are right here. Verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are, are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind... You would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So yes, we, there's a lot of, there are a lot of statements that Jesus makes about why he came into the world. This is one of them where he says, for judgment I have come into this world. Jesus came to the world to, to start setting the record, record straight when it comes to the right and the wrong, what God had desired from the, first, from the first breath of man all the way until now. And he had a desire to start moving things back onto the right track. And that's why he came into this world, so that the blind will see. You've probably heard that phrase from Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. It's not just physical blindness that Jesus was coming to to cure, he was also coming to cure spiritual blindness, but also so that those who see will become blind. And that's a weird statement, but if you are in our Bible reading this last week, doing our daily Bible reading, it actually starts to make a little more sense from Romans chapter 11, where Paul said, What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain, which was righteousness through the law. The elect among them did. But others were hardened. So a lot of the Israelites were hardened, like Pharaoh was hardened. And they weren't able to follow God. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. So this blindness is why Jesus came into the world, to start fixing the blindness and sometimes causing those who think they can see to be blind so that their souls might be saved. So that's the context of this. 
And John chapter 10 just starts right in the middle of that. So even though there's a chapter break at the beginning of John chapter 10, it's not a new, it's not a new scene. It's not a new section. Nothing has happened between that and this. As far as we know, this is, this is right after what happened with the man being born blind when Jesus is teaching this. So that's important to keep that in context. Now, I've got a picture I want to show you before I get into the text. This is a sheepfold. So you're going to hear Jesus talking about coming in and going out. And what the people would probably have in mind would be this concept of a sheepfold. You can see it's got rocks on all four sides, and the sheep are inside, and then there's a gate where the sheep can come in and out, and then there's the shepherd sitting there in, in the gate or in the door, in the entrance to it. So I want you to look at that and keep that picture in mind while I read this for you. This is, this is probably the picture that people would have in mind or something similar uh, that people would have in mind when Jesus was teaching John 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not, lay, or does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
Heavenly Father, as we just dig into your word for a few minutes, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see what you want us to see this evening, that you would speak clear to us, that I wouldn't get in the way of the words you want to communicate, and uh, that if there's anything that you want to say, I ask that you would say it, and anything you don't want me to say, help me to skip it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a lot that's going on here, and uh, we don't really have time to dig into every little thing in this passage, but it's very interesting, the stuff that's happening here. So first, there is this contrast. There's this contrast. Jesus said in verse 14 and verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he says it three times in just a few sentences. Why do you think Jesus would be saying he's the good shepherd? What do you think? Why is Jesus saying he's the good shepherd? Because it's his voice that we follow. It's his voice that we follow? What else? What do you think? He's not the one who runs away? Good, yeah. There are bad shepherds. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's contrasting himself as the good shepherd with the bad shepherds, right? And most scholars believe that Jesus is contrasting himself with those in the synagogue at the end of John chapter 9. Who, who, have, who have done something that is not like a shepherd. So, so the good shepherd, he has the, the sheep listen to his voice, right? So we know that's one reason that he's a good, a good shepherd. He calls his sheep by name. We, we read that early on, that he, he calls his sheep by name. That's actually a reference to the Old Testament, probably the prophets and King David and others where God had this relationship and he would talk to them by name. He would mention their name when he was talking and the sheep know his voice. But, but there's a contrast here that Jesus is making because he mentions the, the good shepherd and then he's talking about thieves, thieves and robbers. He says, very truly I tell you Pharisees, who, anyone who does not enter the, the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now look at this picture. So you see all of the rocks around. Jesus is talking about someone who doesn't come through the gate, which is where he would be sitting as the shepherd. A good shepherd would sit at the gate. And what a good shepherd does is, is he stands there, or he sits there, he would sleep there all night long. So they would build these pens or these sheepfolds out in the middle of these fields where they would take their sheep to pasture. And the reason they're made out of rocks is because there are a lot of rocks around and they didn't have lumber ready, readily available like we have today. So they just grab all these rocks and make this wall where the sheep could come in. And at nighttime, the shepherd would sleep in the gate to keep the, to keep the wolves or other, other things out from coming in to attack the sheep and the sheep would be able to stay in. But here Jesus is talking about someone who's climbing in over the wall. Now a lot of times... 
these would be here for so long that, uh, that thorns would grow up over them so you wouldn't want, to, wouldn't want to climb over. But Jesus is talking about people climbing over the wall and trying to get in and probably steal a, sh- a sheep for their own benefit. Right? They're trying to get something in so that they can, they can take advantage of a sheep for themselves. But Jesus says that, that he's the gate. And all anyone who comes through the gate or enters through him, the gate, will be saved. And he uses this phrase, he says, they will come in and go out and find pasture. What do you think Jesus means by that, that they will come in and go out and find pasture? It sounds, it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? So like, they, would, they come in. So how can they come in and go? Well, he's, what, this, what he's talking about, almost certainly, is he's just talking about this gate. And that when you, are, when you are one of his sheep, you come in and you go out through the gate, right? And you come in and you find safety, and then you go out and find pasture. And the next day you come in and, and are safe at night, and the next morning you go out and find pasture. And you come in and you go out and find pasture. You come in and go out and find pasture. Whoever enters through Jesus will be saved and they'll get this kind of life where they come in and when they're the most vulnerable, when the sheep are the most vulnerable, which is at nighttime, they're protected by the walls of the sheepfold. And then during the daytime, the shepherd leads them out to find new pasture and provide for them so that they can eat. This is what a good shepherd does. But we have these bad shepherds who aren't doing that. And in fact, Jesus is saying they're not, even, they're not even functioning as a shepherd. They're coming in over the walls to try to steal sheep from the shepherd, to steal sheep from Jesus' flock of sheep, which I don't understand why we call it a flock of sheep. It doesn't make any sense to me that it would be the same thing as birds, but that's not really important. <clears throat> So we enter through the gate and are saved. Others come in through the walls. Think about yourself as a sheep being out here in the middle of these pastures. It's kind of like the Wild West. There are a lot of predators, like in the in the West before before you know civilization really grew up. There were a lot of predators. There were wolves. There were cougars. There were mountain lions. There were there were uh, uh, coyotes. Lots of different predators. These predators are still a problem for a lot of a lot of farmers. But imagine yourself as a sheep out there by yourself, out there all alone, just trying to make it, just trying to, trying to get through to the next day. And you get through the day and you've found a lot of green food and you've been able to eat for the day, but then nighttime comes. And, and as night rolls around, you start hearing the howls of the coyotes off in the distance and, and maybe you hear, hear, hear a, uh, a, a wolf doing whatever wolves do. I guess they howl also. And, and, uh, and then you've got maybe a, a cougar scream or a mountain lion scream. And you imagine yourself as the sheep out there all alone, all by yourself, with no one to protect you. You're probably not getting a whole lot of sleep. You're terrified all night long that something's going to happen to you. And then you come and you, you find a flock of sheep. And, and there's a shepherd. And the shepherd 
that night welcomes you into his fold, into his pen. And now for the first night and many, many nights, you lay down there and you're safe. You're no longer on the run, but now you're safe behind the walls. Anyone watch The Walking Dead? Well, remember The Walking Dead, the same thing would happen on The Walking Dead, right? It's Armageddon, the whole world has, has gone off the deep end, and, and there's a zombie apocalypse, and I don't know why, but a lot of pastors are really drawn to The Walking Dead and zombie shows and apocalyptic shows, and I happen to be one of those guys. Um, but, you know, they, they, for the first season or first season and a half, they just spend a lot of time out on the run and they just spend a lot of effort trying to stay safe, especially at nighttime from zombies, but also from other people that would come around and try to take advantage of them. And then they come to a prison. And this prison has a fence all the way around it. And, and then there are walls and they can go in and there are, there are cells where they can close the doors at night and put themselves in a cell and feel, and feel safe. And, and it changes everything. It gives them a sense of stability. And then, of course, somebody wants to come and steal it. And then they go through this thing where they get safety and security and then someone steals it and they have to go find more safety and security. And then something happens and they end up out on the run again. And back and forth and back and forth they go till you get to the end of the show and they finally start figuring out, we need to, we need to know who people are before we move into their security, into their safety, or we need to know who people are before we invite them in behind our walls. And they come up with these three questions to determine if someone should be allowed into their safe community with walls and provisions. They say, how many walkers have you killed? That's zombies. How many people have you killed and why? And then how the people answer those questions determine whether or not they're going to let them in. So even, even the walking dead and people who are in the zombie apocalypse figure out that you need a gate, right? You need some kind of system that you're using to keep, to keep the right people in who are going to be good for the sheep and keep the bad people out, which is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there needs to be a system, there needs to be a structure, and the structure for Christianity, for all of us, is that Jesus is the way in, right? We're not following other people who are climbing in over the walls and and trying to gain the attention of a few sheep here and there and and just try to sweet talk them and, and just maybe if I make my voice sound just a little bit like the shepherd's voice, then I can get this little sheep to come follow me and then I can take the sheep and I can do whatever I want with the sheep, which is either eat it or sell it for, for profit. And, uh, and then I can come back and I can do the same thing again and again. Jesus is saying, no, this is the way. I am the way. He's going to get to a little bit later. Come in through me. So why Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I'm the gate. I'm the way that you enter in through. I am, I am the entrance in and no other can come. No, there, no one can come in any other way except through me. This is the way for you to come in. Now, I've jumped all over the place in my notes. So I'm just going to skip ahead. And hopefully I didn't miss anything important. It's interesting, the gate is not made out of a gate like we would think today. It's made out of a person. Jesus is the gate. 
Jesus is the thing keeping the good things in and the bad things out. Jesus is there to protect the sheep, and he's also there to keep people who would take advantage of the sheep from getting in. But who do you think are these thieves and robbers that Jesus is talking about? Yeah, certainly anything that would, that, would, that would lead us away from following his voice, yeah. But who specifically, there's probably someone specific that Jesus is referencing in this story or in this context. Who are the thieves and robbers? Yeah, the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders of the day who, instead of acting like good shepherds, who instead of you know, building a fold around the sheep and protecting the sheep and, and guarding, the, guarding the sheep as they come in and go out and, and protecting the sheep from those who would come in and take advantage of the sheep, he's saying, no, this is what you're doing. You're putting heavy loads, he would say, you're putting, you're putting heavy loads on the people that you yourselves aren't even willing to lift a finger to try to carry. You're putting a yoke on the people that, that is impossible for them to carry and to live under. So instead of the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders being good under-shepherds, following the good shepherd, God himself... They are doing the opposite. They're, they're taking advantage of the sheep for their own benefit. They're using the sheep to make themselves feel good and, and to, to, to pad their pockets and to, to improve their ego. So Jesus is actually calling the, the, the religious leaders thieves and robbers. But then he contrasts it with himself. He says... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't, doesn't own the sheep. So, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He's not going to lose his life. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. The sheep, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what makes Jesus the good shepherd. Instead of taking advantage of the sheep, instead of sacrificing the sheep for his own benefit, he lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices himself for the benefit of the sheep instead of using the sheep for his own benefit. And right before before he says, I am the good shepherd, he makes this transitional statement in verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, a lot of times we take that passage and we're talking about, about Satan. You can apply it to Satan. That's something certainly that Satan does. But Jesus is talking specifically about thieves here, and he's probably talking about the Pharisees, that they're coming to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life. And when he says life, he's not just talking about living, but he's actually talking about eternal life, the kind of life that God designed us all to have and enjoy. 
Yeah, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Has anyone had an experience where you've looked forward to something and you've had this event coming and, it's, and you're looking as it's coming and you just have all of this excitement and then the day of the event comes and then something happens on that event and then, and then what? What happens after you, after, you've, after you arrive at this day and you get everything that you've been expecting? We call it the big letdown, right? It's like Christmas, right? You're looking forward to Christmas for months and months and months on end. And you're just kind of looking out for it. It's like, what am I going to get? What's going to happen? We have all these fun family you know, events and memories and going to get all of the good Christmas candy and the Christmas cookies and the Christmas pie and the Christmas cake and the Christmas fudge. And you've got all these things that you're looking forward to at Christmas time. You can see where mine go- my mind goes. And then the day comes and you get all that stuff and at the end of the day you're thinking, well, that, that's not nearly as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. Right? You just start thinking, well, what's the next thing I can look forward to? Right? Oh, then we start, and, you, and the stores do this, right? Because as soon as Christmas is over, they put out Valentine's Day stuff. As soon as Valentine's Day is over, they put out the Easter stuff. Because we've got to look forward to something, otherwise our life tends to fall apart. Well, hear this phrase. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That phrase, have it to the full, it's like talking about like a vessel or a jar. All right, now I've got this, this bottle of water. Every time I take a drink out of it, it gets a little emptier. It starts lacking more and more. By the way, if you want to know the answer to whether or not this bottle is half full or half empty, it depends on whether you're filling it up or emptying it. I'm emptying it right now, so it's half empty. If I was filling it up, then it would be half full. So it's not a pessimistic or optimistic thing. It's just real, right? So I'm emptying the bottle. So right now the bottle is half empty. Um, but, but Jesus is saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, even if this bottle, when you open a brand new bottle, see, it's not all the way full. There's just that little bit at the top where they just leave a little bit of space. But Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to fill it all the way to the top. It's not, even in the best situations, there's still that feeling that all of us have. All of humanity has this feeling that even when things go the best they possibly can, when we have the best day of our lives, we still have this little feeling in the back of our mind that says there still feels like something is missing. It still feels like, like there, just, there should have been just a little bit more. And I call that, or in a lot of other scholars, I didn't, get the, didn't come up with this phrase, but it, we call it the, the longing for Eden. It's like God created us in the garden so, so many thousands of years ago with Adam and Eve, and he created this paradise, and in that paradise everything worked like it was supposed to for a little while, and Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they had no shame, they just knew God, and they walked with God on a regular basis. They talked with God on a regular basis. Everything was perfect. God had designed this perfect paradise. And then we, along with Adam and Eve, sinned and, and de- decided to do our own thing, decided to tell God, you know what, God, 
You don't get to tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell me what I'm going to do. So you don't get to tell me that I can't eat the fruit of this tree. I'm going to eat the fruit of whatever tree I want because I am able to make my own decisions. And so we decided that we didn't need to follow God's good advice. We could follow our own advice. We could become God's. And ever since that moment, ever since we decided we didn't need God, we could be our own God's, We've had this feeling, this feeling that even at the best situations, the biggest celebrations and the biggest moments of our lives, there's still just something that's missing. But Jesus came so that we would have life and have it to the full, where we could start to experience right now in this present moment the life that he designed us for from the very beginning, the life that we, he has saved us for for all of eternity in the here and now we can start to experience this life where instead of longing, longing, longing for, for more, for something to fulfill our lives, we start feeling, no, God has actually filled me all the way to the full. I lack nothing. Should, should remind us of Psalm 23 where it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters into green pastures. He restores my soul. This is what Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. So he's the good shepherd. We don't lack anything. Well, so how do we live then in response to this teaching of Jesus? I have a few things. By the way, if you, kids, if you haven't looked at that crossword, all of these answers are things I've talked about, and a lot of them are coming up right now. So if you're not paying attention, grab your pen, because I'm going to give you a lot of the answers for that crossword um, that's on your, on your tables. So how do we live in response to Jesus being the good shepherd? The first is we make sure that we've entered through the gate, not some other means. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The only way for us to be in Christ is to come in through Christ. We can't get there on our own strength. We can't get there with our own righteousness, with our own good deeds. The only way into the sheepfold to be protected by Jesus himself as the gate is to come in through the gate. So we have to first make sure we've come in the right way. Second, we need to make sure that we're listening to the right voices. There are a lot of voices right now in the world saying a whole lot of things. There are a lot of people preaching and, and screaming and, and doing all of these things that, that are trying to get our attention. They're trying to get us to follow them. They're trying to get us so used to their voice that we follow their voice instead of God's voice. And we have to make sure that we're listening to the right voice. Jesus said that the gatekeeper opens the gate And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and then leads them out. Are we listening to the right voices? Or are we listening to YouTube preachers and political pundits and secular society and entertainers and musicians and songwriters and actors and athletes and the Kardashians? And I had to put them in there because like, they don't fit into any actual category because they don't do anything, 
right? They're just, for some reason, people know who they are, but they're not actors or athletes or musicians or songwriters. They're just whoever they are for some reason. But we listen to these people and they, and they talk and we pay attention. Are we listening to their voices or to Jesus' voice, the good shepherd's voice? So we have to enter through the gate. We have to listen to the right voices. We have to follow Jesus. He says um, that the shepherd goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So we follow Jesus. We don't try to wander off on our own. When you do that, you end up out by yourself and in danger and then the good shepherd has to risk his life to come save your life. We follow the shepherd's voice. And then maybe some not so obvious things that we can draw out of this passage are we are to know God and be known by him. Right? That's what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. So we are, we're supposed to be in this process of knowing God, knowing the good shepherd and at the same time being known by him not hiding anything from him because he already knows it anyway, but sharing our lives with him and acting like we're in a relationship back and forth where we know him and he knows us. The last two are unity and sacrifice. Jesus said that I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. In this instance, he's almost certainly talking about the Israelites who are outside and have been scattered over hundreds of years and and that he's going to bring them in and they will know his voice. But he could also easily be talking about you and I, how we are sheep that are not of that pen. And he's going to bring us also in and will be his shepherd. And the last one is, if you want a good shepherd, look for a shepherd that sacrifices. Look for a shepherd that sacrifices. So Jesus sacrificed his life. He laid down his life for the sheep. By the way, Jesus was not murdered. He laid his life down. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority, here's the good part, to take it up again. He has the authority to do those things. He lays down his life. So if you're following people, maybe you're, maybe you're listening to some, some uh, podcasts or some preachers and, and you want to know, okay, after thinking through all of this, are they good? Are they good under shepherds is what we would call them because we have the good shepherd. Jesus is the only good shepherd. All pastors and teachers then become under shepherds because we're under Christ. Christ is the head of the church, not me. So my responsibility is to lead you towards Jesus, not myself. So how do we know if they're a good shepherd or if they're bad shepherds? I think one thing we can ask is how do they respond to trouble? How do they respond to difficult times? How do they respond in challenging situations? Do they run like the thieves and robbers when a wolf comes? Or do they lay down their life and sacrifice? So when you're thinking about those those preachers that you like and listen to? Are they the ones that have been around for a long time and they've stuck it out and they've been in ministry for years and years and years and they're faithful and no matter what the cost has come to them, they continue to be faithful and follow the shepherd and lead people towards the shepherd? 
Or are they those who are just looking to use the sheep to get to another level? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your Son to be an example for us of what a good shepherd is. Thank you that we know by looking at the life of Christ what it means to follow someone who has our best interests in mind. If we've gotten wrapped up and consumed and following something other than Jesus, I pray that you would make that clear to us tonight. And if there's something in our lives, a voice in our lives that's become more important to us, I pray that not only would you bring that to our attention, but help us to be willing to let go of that and start following the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.